It's easy to forget today, at a time when we have hundreds of channels at our fingertips, but in the very early days of TV, your main choices were simple. One channel or darkness. Because most people had already experienced darkness, they turned on the TV. In that environment, network television took on a role beyond just entertaining people. It was a window on the world, the dominant vehicle through which America absorbed the elements of popular culture, fashion, personalities, social attitudes. Because there were so few people bringing us those elements through that box in the living room, they became uniquely powerful in the influence they exerted, our gatekeepers, if you will. And during the 1950s and most of the 1960s, there was no gatekeeper more powerful than... Ed Sullivan! Ed Sullivan! Ed! Ed Sullivan! Ed! Ed Sullivan! From 1948 to 1971, Ed Sullivan's Sunday Night Hour on CBS was the gold standard of variety shows. Sullivan was unmatched in providing something for every member of the family. Rock groups, comedians, classical musicians, singers, acrobats, circus acts, even excerpts from Broadway shows. In the late 1950s, a hit Broadway musical, Bye Bye Birdie, was about a rock and roll star being drafted into the army and an Ohio family chosen to appear with him on Sullivan's show. It featured a song called Hymn to a Sunday Evening, and everyone knew what and to whom it was referring. Today on the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck, we take a look at Ed Sullivan's 23 years on TV and his influence on mid-century pop culture. As Sullivan himself used to say, A really big show tonight. Ed, I love you. I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Edward Vincent Sullivan was a New Yorker through and through. He was born in 1901 on East 114th Street in Harlem, and he grew up in the suburb of Westchester County. He was an outstanding athlete in high school, often competing side-by-side with African-American students and coming to regard them as equals at a time when segregation was still much more common than integration. Sullivan got a job as a reporter at the local newspaper, and within a short time, he rose to become a reporter with the Associated Press, and then with the New York Evening Graphic. In 1929, the graphic's Broadway columnist, Walter Winchell, left for another paper, and Sullivan stepped into the slot, later moving to the New York Daily News. Sullivan became a celebrity at the Daily News, and a bitter rival to Winchell. 
He hosted a radio show in 1932, on which Jack Benny and Jimmy Durante made their first broadcast appearances, and he played himself in a 1933 film, Mr. Broadway. He hosted another radio show in the early 1940s, and during World War II, he organized benefits at Madison Square Garden for Army Emergency Relief and the Red Cross. At about the same time, Sullivan began presenting vaudeville shows at movie houses throughout the Northeast, reviews that had the same kind of format as a TV variety show. And in 1947, he hosted a TV program featuring finalists in the Daily News' annual dance contest, The Harvest Moon Ball. CBS executives took notice, and soon Sullivan was hosting a variety show on television. A movement was limited in those days of early TV, so the variety format was a natural. Everything could take place on one stage in one studio. The acts would appear in front of the cameras, do their stuff, and then move off. All you needed was someone to introduce them and a title for the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Your Lincoln Mercury dealer presents The Toast of the Town, starring the nationally syndicated newspaper columnist, Ed Sullivan. Television in 1948 was primitive. The cameras were largely stationary, and the lights were blazing hot. Toast of the Town began with a budget of about $1,300 an episode. A solo act got 50 bucks. The first episode of Toast of the Town aired on June 20th, 1948. And the guest lineup was a combination of entertainers, human interest figures, and people in the news. Pianist Eugene List, composers Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein, singers Kathy Lee and Monica Lewis, singing fireman Fred Kokomon, and boxing referee Ruby Goldstein, who in just a few days would be officiating the upcoming rematch between Joe Lewis and Jersey Joe Walcott. Oh, and there was a new comedy team on the show, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. They got 200 bucks. In 2012, television historian Cliff Nesteroff interviewed Monica Lewis about her appearance on that first show. They had me doing I'm in the Mood for Love, and they didn't have a dolly camera that could slide in. So they made me sing on my knees. The camera guy had to be right in front of me, and we hid the microphone on a bouquet of flowers which I had to clutch. The lights were so bright that my eyes teared. It looked like I was going to cry, and that got him. On the air, Sullivan was not exactly polished. His stiff movements and awkward phrasing led to comics referring to him as Toast of the Tomb. After the show's second episode, Jack Gould of the New York Times wrote, The choice of Ed Sullivan as Master of Ceremonies seems ill-advised. And John Crosby of the New York Herald Tribune wrote, One of the small but vexing questions confronting anyone in this area with a television set is, Why is Ed Sullivan on it every Sunday night? Although the toast of the town was compared to vaudeville, Sullivan helped ensure that there was one big difference. In vaudeville, the biggest stars were saved for last because the audience sitting in the theater was captive. They couldn't turn the dial when they got bored. TV viewers, on the other hand, could get fidgety or change the channel if they had another channel to change to. 
So to keep viewers hooked, Sullivan front-loaded his biggest stars. He had them appear at the beginning of the show for a brief bit and then hold out the promise of bringing them back again later in the show. By the end of 1948, Toast of the Town was the top television show in several East Coast cities, and for a while Sullivan had easy sledding. But in the fall of 1950 came serious competition on NBC. The Colgate Comedy Hour. The Colgate Comedy Hour had a big budget and a series of rotating hosts, including Abbott and Costello, Eddie Canner, and Fred Allen. But the most popular hosts of all were two fellows who had been on Sullivan's first show, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. The shows they hosted were rowdy, loaded with ad-libs, physical comedy, and pandemonium in the studio as Lewis would run behind the cameras and go through the audience. It was a far cry indeed from Sullivan's show, and viewers loved it. At the end of the 1950-51 season, the Colgate Comedy Hour was the nation's number five show, and Toast of the Town was at number 15. At the end of the next season, Colgate was still in fifth place, and Toast of the Town wasn't even in the top 30. Sullivan knew he had to fight back, and he used his newspaper column as a resource. Through that, he knew when movie stars were coming to New York to promote a new film or appear in a Broadway play. He began inviting them onto his show with the promise of showing a film clip and maybe a quick interview to reach the largest possible audience. And then an even better idea cropped up. Theme shows centering around a show business legend and featuring a lineup of stars who wouldn't even have to say anything. They could just walk across the stage or stand up in the studio audience in the guise of saluting the man or woman of the hour. Sullivan's show honored figures like movie producer Sam Goldwyn or Walt Disney or theater producer-director Joshua Logan. Usually these shows would also promote the honoree's current project and feature a host of performers who were under contract to the honoree and therefore didn't have any choice but to show up. Well, it worked. Thanks to pure celebrity power, Toast of the Town began beating the Colgate Comedy Hour in the ratings. Even more important, Sullivan's stiff, awkward style of speaking and hosting the show was becoming the target of impersonators, most notably a gentleman named Will Jordan. This is Ed Sullivan, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to sing for you. So let's really hear it for me. Let's really hear it for me. Bye-bye, love. Bye-bye, happiness. Hello, loneliness. I think I'm going to cry. It became hip to make fun of Ed Sullivan, and Sullivan himself eagerly bought into the idea even going so far as to appear in a novelty song with the Kirby Stone Four. Eight o'clock, Sunday night, there's a man comes around and he makes things right. Everybody's feeling gay when they hear this fella say. There's a really big shoe tonight. A really big shoe tonight. 
We got 16 tons of atomic ore We got next year's army, Navy score And the first four battles of the Civil War It's a really big show tonight It's a really big show tonight Shoe, not show It's a really big shoe tonight Now you've got it, we've got a spaceship blasting off for you Finally, in the fall of 1955, CBS officially recognized the power of their host and Toast of the Town was formally renamed The Ed Sullivan Show. Sullivan was now an American institution, and viewers became familiar with his favorite guests, performers who appeared on the show more than anyone else, like the Canadian comedy team of Wayne and Schuster, or ventriloquist Ricky Lane, or puppet mouse Topo Gigio. Sullivan was also an early supporter of African-American performers, at least partly due to his attending an integrated school. From the beginning, he welcomed performers like jazzman Fletcher Henderson, comic Pigmeat Markham, and one-legged tap dancer Pegleg Bates. At that point, Sullivan's show was sponsored by Lincoln Mercury, and when one of the car dealers objected to Sullivan holding hands with Pearl Bailey on the air, Sullivan threatened to belt him. When dancer Bill Bojangles Robinson died penniless, Sullivan paid for his funeral. Sullivan's rise in the mid-1950s really skyrocketed in 1956. His reputation as American gatekeeper received a serious boost because of one performer. Here is Elvis. But let's backtrack a bit first. Presley did not make his network TV debut on Sullivan's show. His first network appearance was on a CBS variety program called Stage Show, hosted by band leaders Jimmy and Tommy Dorsey. A Heartbreak Hotel had been released just the day before his first appearance, and the studio audience for Stage Show seemed to be made up more of parents of teenagers than the teens themselves. They did not seem to be rock and roll fans. They were there to hear the big band sound of the Dorsey Brothers, and you can hear them murmuring uncomfortably as Presley growls his way through his first appearance on the show. It didn't take long for Presley to become a rock and roll phenomenon, but he wasn't always treated with respect in his TV appearances. For instance, when he visited Milton Berle's show, Burl kept making fun of Presley's loose-limbed dance moves and did a sketch where he played Elvis's twin brother, which seems super awkward considering that Elvis did have a twin brother who died at birth. Then came an appearance on Steve Allen's variety show, which competed with Sullivan's show. Allen and his writers thought it would be funny if Presley dressed in a tuxedo and sang Hound Dog to a real-life hound dog which humiliated Elvis. At this point, Presley still had not appeared with Sullivan, who had described him as vulgar, until the Allen show with Presley beat Sullivan's show in the ratings. Then Sullivan changed his tune and signed Presley for three appearances. For the first, in the fall of 1956, Sullivan wasn't there. He'd been injured in an auto accident, and Presley was introduced by the show's guest host, actor Charles Lawton, who said simply, Away to Hollywood to meet Elvis Presley. Presley's appearances with Sullivan helped edge the show into the number two slot for the 1956-57 season, 
just under I Love Lucy, and the famous censoring of Presley, shooting him above the waist so that his pelvic thrusts wouldn't inflame collective female America, didn't even happen until Presley's third and final Sullivan appearance on June 1, 1957. That's a notable guest shot for another reason, because that was when Ed Sullivan, American gatekeeper, conferred his approval and blessing on Elvis Presley. Elvis, ladies and gentlemen, inasmuch as he goes to the coast now for his new picture, this will be the last time that we'll run into each other for a while. But I, now wait a minute, I wanted to say to Elvis Presley in the country that this is a real, decent, fine boy. And wherever you go, Elvis... Shortly after that guest shot with Presley, Sullivan appeared in the headlines for another reason, a feud with his Sunday night competitor, Steve Allen. Allen's variety show featured the same kind of sophisticated humor he had introduced as the first host of The Tonight Show, and he was emerging as a threat. He also couldn't resist taking a few jabs at Sullivan. On the first episode of his variety show, Allen told the audience that he was going to announce everyone who'd be on Sullivan's show that night, and then unrolled a huge scroll. The next week, he introduced a man in the audience who was supposed to be the only person in America not on Sullivan's show that night. Then the two men got into a dispute over booking guests, and Alan accused Sullivan of stealing an idea he had to do a show honoring the first anniversary of the death of James Dean. Now, that wasn't Sullivan's only feud. When Buddy Holly and the Crickets appeared on the show in 1958, they planned on performing the song Oh Boy. Sullivan thought that song was too suggestive and told them to play something else, but Holly had already told his friends in Texas that they would play Oh Boy. So Sullivan got back at Holly by mispronouncing his name and then cutting off the sound feed to Holly's guitar. Sullivan also feuded with Bo Diddley for going on the show and singing Bo Diddley instead of 16 Tons, and he wouldn't let Bob Dylan sing Talkin' John Birch Paranoid Blues on the show, so Dylan walked off. But Sullivan's best-known conflict came in 1964 with comic Jackie Mason. That night, the show was running long, and in the middle of his bit on live TV, Sullivan, off-camera, held up two fingers to let Mason know that he had just two minutes left. "'I'm getting lots of fingers here tonight,' Mason said, and began raising a few fingers himself. Sullivan accused Mason of giving him the finger and canceled his contract, but the two later reconciled. Also in 1964, Sullivan again became the country's gatekeeper, introducing the parents of America to the group their kids were listening to, the Beatles. They first appeared with Sullivan on February 9th, 1964, and if you watch that show, you'll actually see Sullivan act kind of charming as he tries to calm down an audience of screaming teenagers. He's like a dad trying to gain control at the world's largest slumber party. And on their third show with Sullivan, he again gave his blessing. You know, all of us on the show are so darn sorry sincerely sorry that this is the third and thus our last current show with the Beatles because these youngsters from Liverpool, England and their conduct over here not only as fine professional singers but as a 
group of fine youngsters will leave an imprint with everyone over here who's met him. And that goes for all of us on our show. Throughout the 1960s, Sullivan was key in giving exposure to new comics like Richard Pryor, Woody Allen, Rodney Dangerfield, and Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira. In fact, Mira basically attributed the birth of Ben Stiller to the financial security the team had from appearing regularly on Sullivan's show. The decade came to an end with Sullivan still feuding with rock groups. The Rolling Stones gave in and changed Let's Spend the Night Together to Let's Spend Some Time Together for the show, but The Doors refused to change Light My Fire for Sullivan. Afterward, lead singer Jim Morrison was told The Doors would never do The Ed Sullivan Show again. We just did The Ed Sullivan Show, he said. By the late 1960s, viewing choices were more plentiful and Sullivan's power began to fade. The show was being beaten in the ratings by the FBI on ABC and Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color on NBC. Still, Sullivan was hoping to hold out for 25 years until 1973. And then on St. Patrick's Day 1971, Sullivan turned green, but not because of his Irish descent. It's because he got a call from CBS. After 23 years, the current season of The Ed Sullivan Show would be its last. TV Guide asked Sullivan for his reaction. I'll be a son of a bitch, he said. The cancellation of The Ed Sullivan Show was part of a wider purge occurring at the network. Shows with older audiences and rural settings were targeted for takedown, not just Sullivan's show. The Red Skelton Hour, Mayberry RFD, Hee Haw, Green Acres, Lassie, and the Beverly Hillbillies were on the chopping block as well. Pat Buttram, who played Mr. Haney on Green Acres, joked that it was the year CBS canceled every show with a tree in it. The network was making room for new programs that drew younger audiences, like All in the Family and The Mary Tyler Moore Show. Sullivan passed away in 1974, just a few years after his show went off the air. But in the late 1990s, compilations of acts from The Ed Sullivan Show became top-rated TV specials for CBS, and The Ed Sullivan Theater at Broadway and 53rd Street, where the program originated, was renovated to become the TV home of David Letterman and now Stephen Colbert, both of whom have recognized their debt to Sullivan. When Sullivan died of cancer, the New York Times said this, He was an excellent judge of entertainers. He was sincere in his enjoyment of their work. And he was so honestly ill at ease that viewers came to be affectionately sorry for him. Somebody once asked Alan King, who appeared on Sullivan's show 37 times, the secret to Sullivan's success. When I was rolling with Ed, everybody said, Can you explain Ed Sullivan? I said, I don't know what he does, but he seems to do it better than anybody else. There have been attempts at reviving the Sullivan variety format in shows hosted by people like Howard Cosell and Dick Clark, but they failed, partly because families don't gather around one TV anymore, and probably partly because in our multi-digital, multi-platform society, for better or worse, all of us are the gatekeepers. 
Incredible Inman's pop culture potluck is a one-man band. Me, David Inman. My wife Joyce provided the voice of Monica Lewis in this episode. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing and rating us on iTunes. You can also check out episodes on the Incredible Inman Facebook page or the podcast page of IncredibleInman.com. See you later.